there's a massive cultural divide and misunderstanding of DOD in the tech sector. General AI, uh, my opinion, from personal experiences that were not even close, not even in our lifetimes, probably. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanispert of the Combat Capabilities Development Command's Armament Center within the Army Futures Command, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, Luke will be talking with Rob Albritton, Senior Director for Octo Consulting Group's OLAB's Artificial Intelligence Center of Excellence. Rob will be discussing the need for AI and DoD, the realities, limitations, and possibilities of AI, and advice for the next generation of AI workers. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Rob, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Luke. Good to see you again. Yeah, so glad to have you here. And you're the Senior Director and AI Lead at Octo Consulting Group. So for our audience, what what does that mean? What's your focus, really? Absolutely. So we're fairly new uh, to AI at Octo Consulting. Uh, What we've done is we've stood up uh, an organization within Octo called O-Labs. That's kind of our R&D organization, our R&D arm. And within that O-Labs construct, we're building an AI center of excellence. And in that AI center of excellence, that's where we're going to build the vision and strategy for the company's AI practice for the the near and and kind of midterm for the firm. We also, that that O-Labs construct is where we're building uh, computational resources. So we're actually installing Calling, you know, GPU compute, for example, so that we can actually do uh, R&D on site. Uh, it's also a place where we can bring the government, our government customers, uh, to work with our world-class machine learning engineers that we've been hiring and uh, work together and collaborate on, you know, really hard problems that the IC and DOD specifically are, are uh, experiencing. And we think that AI may be able to help with those intractable problems. I think that's that's really a great point, but also a great segue to my next question, because really you've had experience um, working both in the military, with the military, other aspects of government, private sector. You've, you've had a pretty wide range of experience. So how does that approach to artificial intelligence differ uh, in machine learning between all these different groups that you've been in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good question. Um, so I, you're right. I have been blessed uh, in my career to work with many different kinds of organizations, both public and private sector. Um, you know, just a real quick uh, intro. You know, I, I was lucky enough to work at NVIDIA, you know, the world's largest AI computing company. I think most of us know who NVIDIA is. Um, <clears throat> worked on Ar- Army Geospatial Center, Army Erdic, uh, got to work at NGA, uh, and then also active duty Air Force um, with a with a reconnaissance squadron called the 38th Reconnaissance Squadron. 
all of those organizations, you're right, they do approach AI research and development and scaling AI much differently. So one of the biggest uh, profound differences I saw across those organizations is um, the way that the organizations view AI and machine learning, right? So government groups um, tend to, uh, and this is kind of a, a, it may be an overgeneralization, but it's my experience. Government groups tend to view AI as a single piece of technology. And so you see these, uh, as we speak today, every day there's a new DOD AI project or program standing up, right? I would say in, in the Valley, in Austin, you know, in these tech sector hubs, right, the companies view AI quite differently. It's not a single piece of technology. It's really ingrained into their culture, and it's part of every single problem they try to tackle. So one of my experiences uh, as of late was working on the IVAS program for the Army. Um, so the Integrated Visual Augmentation System, one of the largest S&T programs, you know, the Ar Army's ever undertaken and most aggressive uh, using Microsoft HoloLens and militarizing it, right? Building AR uh, and AI capabilities for the squad, right? For soldier level operations, or squad level operations. Um, very early on in that program, the Army uh, had swim lanes, technical swim lanes that they divided the program into. Uh, Microsoft, on the other hand, did not see the need for an AI-specific swim lane. They saw AI as a component of every single swim lane. So I think that's just um, you know a little bit of cultural differences there in the way that we view AI across our different programs. So the Army, uh, when they get into these things and militarize it, they really militarize it. And, Absolutely. Uh, break it up structurally like what we're used to. That's right. That makes sense. Um, so you know, you've had experience with AI. We've had a lot of discussions, and obviously you, you you worked for NVIDIA previously, which is, again, as you said, the, the largest producer of GPUs in the world. You've seen this kind of go up and down. Do you think that we're overestimating AI, or is the hype real? So it's a it depends uh, answer, right? So, and, and I'm sure you would like me to say yes or no, you know, whether the hype is real. But yeah, the reality is, uh, so I think uh, we are, um, we being uh, primarily industry and academia at times, uh, overestimating um, timelines, right? Uh, so when we talk about uh, strong AI, for example, you know, general AI, uh, my opinion, uh, you know, from uh, personal experiences that were not even close, um, like not even in our lifetimes probably uh, before we get there. Um, that being said, uh, it's virtually impossible to predict uh, what's going to happen with AI, right, with technology in general. Um, so if you take uh, Carl Sagan, for example, uh, who predicted that we would get to Mars eventually, but had no idea when it would happen, quite frankly. Um, if you fast forward to today, uh, where you have SpaceX and Elon Musk, you know, and his teams actively planning true manned missions to Mars in the next few years, um, if that comes to fruition, there's no way Carl Sagan could have predicted that in the 90s, right? So fast forward 30 years, and we're in a totally different place with technology than we thought we ever could be. Um, that that that's a real possibility going forward, right? So, point being, it's it's all. It's all, uh, the reality is we may not be overhyping. Um, 
We also do have to be careful, though, I think, with uh, cookie-cutter approaches to AI. So you hear a lot of companies now um, saying that they can reuse uh, platforms and frameworks and things like that uh, that they may build for the DoD. They can reuse it at um, you know health and human services or other organizations. That's completely uh, counter to what I believe and what Octo, our culture, believes. We actually believe that every AI problem is uh, unique, and so we tackle those problems in unique ways each time. So, do you think that's more algorithmically based, or is that? more based on the data and the variance in the data that you get from, say, a commercial sector where everything tends to be more concrete, defined, and a lot of times, honestly, easier codified, as opposed to DOD data that really is kind of dirty. Yeah, that's a big part of it. You're absolutely right. It's not only is the data dirty, but it's, um, like I said, unique. So, you know, the the NGA, in, you know, satellite derived data that NGA is using is, uh, while it might be still imagery, still imagery that we take from, you know, mid and high altitude uh, UAV platforms or UAS platforms um, is completely different, uh, even though it may also be still imagery, right? The metadata is different. Uh, the way we tag it for usage in machine learning applications is, is different. So it's really hard. We, we hear, we've all heard in this, in this DOD world, right? We've probably all heard about uh, these offices and, and, and organizations that are going to be stood up to handle to, and, and build one central data re repo right? It's my belief that that will not work, right? That is, uh, the, the data is, is too unique. You can't create one place where we can go and get data for all machine learning applications. In your approach to data and, and just kind of pulling this thread a little bit, do you think we're better off, in, in terms of the DOD, are we better off trying to develop data standards that match industry, or are we better off trying to build uh, algorithms that really understand these these varying forms of data. Good question. Um, I think we can learn from industry, and we can take uh, what they've already done and and you know standards and industry best practices and lessons learned, and apply that to our uh, unique use cases and missions in DoD and the IC. Um, for example, uh, I go back to NVIDIA, right? Uh, NVIDIA spends about $2 billion a year on internal research and development. A large portion of that is on really advanced uh, deep learning applications and deep, new, deep, new ways of using deep learning for different problems. There's no reason that we, should we, DOD, should reinvent the wheel, right? We should take what they've learned, what they've spent $2 billion a year on, and implement that in our own specific, uh, you know, unique mission cases. You know, you and I actually talked about this offline probably about last year or so. There's been concern in terms of the death of Moore's Law and, you know, okay, we're, are we running out of speed, distance, and altitude when it comes to having more computing power in the future? Are we, are we reaching, you know, capacities where we're not going to be growing exponentially? So are we entering another AI winter? Um, or, or are we able to get past that? Yeah, good. Another good question. Um, so we, uh, so first, let me let me let me go back to the compute power uh, topic, right? So uh, here, here's a good example of, of 
at least in my mind, uh, a way to think of where we are with compute power, right? So if you think of um, the late 90s, uh, 98, 99, and even into the early 2000s, ASCII Red was the fastest supercomputer on the planet, right? So about a teraflop of, of compute power. That machine took up an entire 2,500 square foot room. Uh, fast forward uh, less than 20 years, and you can now, you now have more compute power on a uh, NVIDIA Jetson Xavier embedded in, you know, GPU system um, that fits in the palm of your hand. Um, what that means is we can now take uh, applications that used to take supercomputers to compute um, and to process, we can now put that kind of compute power in the hands of soldiers at the tactical edge, right? So you think about um, any tactical vehicle, Bradley, um, Abrams, um, any of them, uh, Humvees, uh, you can now realistically embed high-performance computing on all those vehicles and turn soldiers into hyper-aware soldiers by being able to do AI at the edge. Now. Getting back to the, the, the question is, yeah, are we entering a, an AI winter? Um, I don't think we're entering a winter, um, but uh, you know the facts are deep learning research papers published ha have slowed, uh, especially over the last 10 to 12 months. I don't think that necessarily means we're entering a winter. I think we're just kind of maybe leveling off a little bit. That spike has that spike in research and interest has has slowed just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but I think we are still finding very uh, new and novel applications for um, what now are some deep learning approaches that have been around for you know five to seven years in, in the machine learning, deep learning, AI world. That's a long time, right? Those are old, old applications. Um, and there's profit to be made. Like the reality is, uh, you know, tech sector, there is a ton of profit to be made uh, in, in AI, right? So uh, that alone will probably keep, you know, the AI train moving for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think that makes sense in terms of the hype cycle that maybe we've reached in that in that technology hype cycle, that that uh, capstone of uh, inflated expectations, uh, and now we're getting more into the gradual increases rather than you know the exponential. So you know, again, talking about what what DoD does with the industry, you know, uh, noted that you know they're standing up uh, all sorts of AI efforts all over the place. Army Futures Command itself stood up. Um, was was a venture to try and work closer with industry and to speed up the acquisition and modernization processes because we have to we have to get on top of this and um, General Milley and, and General Murray have realized what it's going to take in order to modernize the military and the army that much faster. So in order to do that, though, because of the experience you've had. What can the DOD do to be a better partner with industry? So it's a multi-part answer, again. Um, so I think, uh, number one, um, it, just a general comment is, is we have seen, there's a lot of DOD leadership, I'll just say, and again, this is a little bit of a generalization, but um, I'm pretty sure we've all heard, uh, been in meetings or, or conferences where we've heard senior leaders in the DOD talk about um, 
the lack of talent and AI innovation happening in DOD and IC labs, right, research and development labs, and kind of putting all their attention on Silicon Valley and, and Austin and Boston and all these hubs, right, where the tech companies are, and, and kind of implying that all the, all the talent is in those locations. Uh, frankly, I think that's uh, incredibly dangerous and um, creates a situation where, uh, you know, if I were a young, um, a young computer science major at Stanford and, uh, you know, focusing on machine learning um, and I heard that, there's, there's no way I'm going to want to go work for the federal government, right? That, that just kind of solidifies that uh, if I'm hearing senior leaders say those kind of things. That being said... Um, what can we do better? So, uh, or what can DOD do better with industry? I, I think w what my experience at NVIDIA taught me was that there's a massive uh, cultural divide and misunderstanding of DOD in the tech sector, right? So, and it, and that's not through any malice or you know uh, bad intent of 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 you know, individuals who work in the tech sector. Um, it's just, there's a disconnect there. You know, they have not been in touch with, you know, when you're in, in the Bay Area, there's very, there's not a lot of, you're not, you're not experiencing the military very often. You're not working with the military very often. And so they don't understand the military's mission. So um, I think that transparency piece, right? So the military being a little more transparent about how they're using AI, um, talking about AI for good, right? Which we've all heard about. and. But there, but it's true. We are using AI for good. We're using AI at Fort Detrick to, uh, you know, help us further along and speed up the process of finding a uh, a, a coronavirus vaccine. Um, these are all things that are being funded by the military, and they're good things that I think Silicon Valley would find very interesting to know. Right. Uh, I'll give you another example. We, I think greening, a greening process would be very helpful. So greening experiences. And what I mean by that is um, taking uh, individuals from, from, from tech, right, from industry, and uh, giving them hands-on experience with the military, right? So uh, again, going back to the IVAS program down at Fort Belvoir, the Army actively takes Microsoft employees and puts them through different greening experiences, takes them down to Fort Pickett, takes them to these different areas where uh, the military, the Army is conducting operations and allows them to experience it firsthand. And it really helps them empathize, them being the tech employees. It helps those engineers empathize with what um, you know soldiers go through every day and empathize with that mission and once they understand it better they're able to apply their advanced technologies more uh, specifically to those unique mission sets that the military experiences we just talked about ai for good so when you think about ai what, what are your concerns about ai ethically what do we as a nation and really for the dod what do we need to think through in this realm I'm gonna I'm gonna flip that a little bit on you. So I, I actually think um, instead of focusing so much on ourselves, uh, we need to think a little bit more about our adversaries or potential adversaries, right? And and frankly, I don't hear enough about our adversary, uh, other than you know the fear mongering that we all hear about you know China investing more than us in AI, and I could. 
you know, happy to delve into that a little bit too if you want. But um, I think um, when you consider that it's not all that far-fetched to think that you know, in five to ten years, our soldiers could experience and encounter fully autonomous squads of weapon systems. So think, you know, robotic infantry, right? If we were to ever have to go to battle, um, you know, in Eastern Europe uh, with a near peer like Russia or, or something like that, right? Those kind of adversaries have no qualms whatsoever about using fully autonomous weapon systems. Whereas our ethics, our morals, don't allow us to do that, right? It's just not the American way. It's not the Western way. So um, how do we combat that kind of adversary uh, that, that is willing to apply those kind of technologies against our soldiers? Um, I think the answer is, is looking more at, at, at things like counter AI, right? And, and how do we jam systems like that? How do we, make, how do we deceive their fully autonomous systems? Um, because the, the reality is most likely we're not going to be willing to build fully autonomous systems to compete with them. So your answer is don't try to out-autonomy the folks with uh, autonomous units, but try to beat the autonomy itself. That's right. And so um, you just talked about China. So what what is the fear-mongering? What are we – it actually kind of – kind of plays into my next question really which is what are we missing what are we not thinking about or maybe based on what you said what are we putting too much emphasis or too much caution on i don't think we should neglect or 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 not talk about the 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 problem of of china and russia and iran you know these 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 kind of near-peer adversaries investing in AI for defense and, and um, offensive applications, you know, on the battlefield. Um, those are important, but I think there not, aren't a lot of numbers uh, and empirical evidence to to back it up, you know, to be quite honest. Um, a lot of it is anecdotal. It, you know, we, we do know that China's um, investing in AI, but, you know, I, I think we... Uh, we overemphasize um, that competition, right? Um, we have the greatest, we, the uh, America, right? The United States, we have the greatest, most innovative culture on the planet, right? We encourage kids in high school, right? The, the oddball kid, the, the kid that's different. Um, those are the individuals that start tech companies that uh, invent, invent the next great AI capability, right? That we may be able to use to protect our soldiers on the battlefield. I think that is a, uh, an advantage and a protection that our nation has that, that China or, or Russia could could never compete with, right? So I just don't think the threat is quite as elevated and real as we may be uh, portraying, you know, publicly. Which, again, brings me to my next question. Um, you're talking right now to future engineers, AI workers in the future. They're in high school, middle school, maybe even elementary school right now. What advice do you give to them? What do you, why would they want to work in this field? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, the field is still in its infancy. Those of us who have been working in this field for, for a few years or, or, or in some cases, you know, 10 or 15 years, we feel like it's been around forever. And it has, you know, machine learning and, and, and um, you know, AI in general that, you know, coined in the 50s, right? It's, it's the term and, and the field has been around for a while. But, but where we are today, like you were saying, with compute and, and the amount of data we have, um, it's, it's really, we are really in, our, in, in the infancy of, of, I think, where machine learning, deep learning, um, you know, n- neural spiking chips and all these new advances are going in the, in the next few years. Um, so uh, what I would tell, you know, individuals who are going into school, high school, um, new college students, um, is that they still have the ability to uh, shape um, this field, right? Uh, tremendously. Um, they can be the next Andrew Ng or Alex Kurzewski or Jan LeCun, right? Um, these guys are, are world famous, um, you know, deep learning thought leaders right now. But, um, you know, students, the young students still have the ability to be like those individuals um, in the coming years. Uh, I think additionally, uh, AI can, can solve some of the world's greatest problems. Um, and challenges. Uh, so, you know, cancer, for example, there's no doubt in my mind um, that AI, once we do conquer it, which I think will happen, you know, sooner than later, um, I think AI will be a critical piece, right? We, uh, AI and supercomputing, right? High-performance computing. So that, you know, there are many new techniques coming out that allow us um, to iterate through many uh, possible vaccines, for example, uh, at a molecular level that, you know, we could not do uh, five years ago without high-performance computing and AI. You know, personally, you know, I have a 22-month-old son. Personally, I would love to see him go into this field uh, if he wants to and, and be part of that, right? Be part of, of, of solving uh, and, and, and ridding the world of things like cancer. So now I'm going to kind of transition into what we call our rapid-fire questions. Really uh, take as much time as you want, though. But this is questions we ask for all our guests. The first being, what technology or trend keeps you up at night? I'll say not a specific technology, but a, a, a field, right? Uh, genetic engineering, right? I think um, more so than any fear that we've created around general AI or anything like that, I think um, genetic engineering in the hands of the wrong individual or the wrong militant group or something, you know, can, can reap uh, nearly irreparable harm on, on mankind. I, I think it could be just very, very dangerous. Um, I think at the same time, though, it, it you know there's the possibilities for good around genetic engineering. We could we could solve and cure some of the worst diseases the planet's ever seen. So whichever side of the coin you're looking at, right? But the dangers do scare me a little bit. What's something something you'd be willing to share with our listeners? Uh, something about you most people might not know. That's an interesting question. Uh, so. Um, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell it by uh, looking at my uh, almost 40-year-old belly now, but uh, I was a swimmer in my younger days uh, when I was, uh, you know, my father was, we were stationed in Germany uh, in the early 
uh, 90s. Uh, my dad was still at a, at a, at a listening station uh, with the 66th MI in southern Germany. And uh, anyways, when, I, when we lived there, I was actually um, uh, part of the uh, European Youth uh, Championship, Swimming Championships, uh, where I swam in, in the same lane as uh, Mark Spitz did. Oh, wow. uh, so yeah, that was a really neat experience. Awesome. So now for our final and really our most important question always, what is your favorite movie? So that is uh, unequivocally Top Gun. Uh, Top Gun. Top Gun. Right. And I know we, we've, you've got to be excited about uh, the sequel coming out, right? <laughs> Something like that. I, I was hoping for a return of Goose, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. Rob, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, this has been a, a really fun, great experience. So I appreciate it, Luke. Hey, thanks for coming out. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Rob Albritton, Senior Director for Octo Consulting Group's OLAB's AI Center of Excellence. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil.